GBC kids, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed. You guys have a great service. Do you see the 20 to 30 kids flooding out? We need help. We're talking and we're building uh, great children's ministry and getting it ready for this new era, this new phase. And they're doing an excellent job. And kind of what they're looking to do is if you would have a heart to serve, we're asking if you would like to be a team leader. I know, Peter, you've signed up and are going to be a team leader. But we're asking you just to serve once a month. And you can be a part. Um, I think three weeks ago there was four salvations and some of the new kids that were coming. So we celebrate that. And are just so thankful for what God is stirring up. And also families coming in from the school here at ZCA, coming into the church and uh, finding that, that fit for their kids and finding that house. So if, you, if you'd love to serve and be a part, please connect with me or Brittany and Barron. Uh, we need the help. And uh, we promise we won't wear you out. And it's, you're not signing up for a life sentence, okay? So we'll communicate with us. Let us know what you can do. And we want to get you plugged in and involved uh, as we serve the next generation. But this morning, um, I do want to talk about how we can bounce back. And another way to say that, if we drag this out, is how can we emotionally heal from hurt? Last week, we talked about pushing through pain. And I mentioned that at different places in our walk with God, we can get stuck. That when we experience hurt or trauma or uh, different kinds of pain, whether it be in finances, relationally, whether it be with maybe a leader in your life or a family relationship, it has the ability to keep you stuck. And if we don't understand that God gives us everything we have need of to walk in forgiveness in every part of our life, then that keeps us from getting a hardened heart, a bitter heart, where we're not going to allow ourselves to be stuck, but the Spirit of God can continue to move through us. So if we're going to pray for God to send revival, we have to, again, reflect it upon ourselves And I pray you do this morning. And and here's the picture that God gave me. Just like a bow and arrow, when you pull that thing back, it begins to build momentum so that arrow can shoot off in the direction it's supposed to with power and with accuracy. And many times for us to to, to find healing in our lives, to bounce back, it's like that arrow being pulled back and we have to go back and look at some things in our past. We have to look at some things in our lives so that we can get that momentum and that we can be that straight arrow. But see, when we begin to to pull back things come out that maybe we didn't know that were there or God brings wisdom in a certain area or truth in a certain area and as I think about the word revival and returning to obedience we all want truth and we all want to receive truth but I think many times we're not ready for truth I found this and I thought it was good and this was really the six stages of truth and how it takes place first we hear it then it hurts Anybody been there before? You hear truth, and it hurts, and then you're wrestling in that hurt. Then it's hard, and then from when it's hard, it gets heated. So it's almost like that wrestling match between God and Jacob, where it's hard. You're wrestling with truth. God was wrestling with him to change his name, and Jacob was wrestling with him to get that blessing. So it was, it was hard, and it was heated. And I think many times we get stuck in that hard and in that heated place of wrestling with truth when we wrestle with the word of God and when God is changing our mind or he's changing our heart. We get in this wrestle, and it's hard, and it's heated. 
But if we can move on from where it's hard and then it's heated, then we can begin to heal. And we can begin to allow the word of God to be medicine to us, that we see that this is the only prescription that can give us what we need. And then from when we heal, then we can walk and be healthy. And that's the place I want us to be as a church. And really, this is the cycle that we always see, that we're always going to wrestle with truth because truth has a way of touching your flesh, touching sensitive areas. And if you're not ready for it, it can be painful. And I think we misdiagnose pain in our life. Think about your medicine cabinet, all the pain relievers you have that when you are in a, when you feel pain, you run and you take Advil, you run and you take Tylenol. We run to things that can relieve pain. But many times pain is the very thing God can use to get our attention and make us look a little deeper and say, hey, this needs to change. Because when something's painful, you need to go to a specialist or to a doctor and have them diagnose what's going on. Without that pain, you would never know that you have something internally that is not good, that is not well, and that needs help. And so don't misdiagnose the pain maybe you're feeling right now, maybe you're seeing right now, or collectively we're seeing and sensing through COVID-19. But let us take this pain and let it use us to push us toward God, to push us toward relationship with him. And so you have to hear it. Sometimes it hurts. It's hard. It's heated. You heal. And then you can begin to walk in health. And so I want us to be that era. I want us to go back. I want, to, I want you to reflect maybe on some areas that have made you stuck in your faith where you're not getting that momentum to continue to move forward, to continue to heal, to continue to be all God has called you to be. You guys ready to dive in this morning? I got eight points for you. We're going to go through them quick. I might get to all of them. We'll see. But number one is this. And I think as we have to look at these prescriptions, and, and I pulled out Proverbs, and we're going to look at, at what wisdom has to say about how we're to heal from our hurt. Because again, this is the prescription we need to have personal revival in our heart, to find personal healing so that we can be all God has called us to be. Number one, if you're taking notes, is you have to look is, is, is your hurt caused by your sin? Again, this is the part where we reflect on ourselves is, is what I've done or a sinful action I've made, has that caused pain and hurt in my life? And how am I to adequately and properly address that? You know, I think of uh, a funny story. When I was 15 years old, we were at our in youth group, and uh, it was baseball season at youth group, and we were playing, and uh, we had someone had brought a metal bat for the first time. So we were excited that we could really get some power behind this thing and have a good time. Well, I had never done it before, and for some reason I hadn't thought about it, but I, it was my turn up to bat, and someone – uh, out of nowhere real quick and you just respond they throw a basketball toward me and say hey Jared get a swing at this and so I took that metal bat reared back swung at the basketball and if you've done it before if you've seen it you can imagine what happened that bat hits the basketball it reverbs back and hits me right in the face the metal bat I just want to pass out I black out for a minute I wake up and I just see blood pouring out of my eyebrow I'm like what the heck is going on and thankfully, I think there was like a seventh grader there in a white T-shirt. And I just went and hugged him and he gave me his T-shirt and wiped it all off. Now, thinking of it is, has my stupidity, how has that caused some pain in my life? What I would do here, how I would not handle this, is I wouldn't call 911 and say, hey, I hit myself with a bat. You need to do something about this. No, they, they're not going to be able to help me in that. That was on me and I need to take responsibility for it. 
So I call my daddy, takes me to the hospital. We get it stitched up. We're all good. And really makes for a, a stupid story, but you get the point. But look at this. Look what it says. Proverbs 29, it says, Who can say I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. Wisdom will say this. Wisdom requires that we seek patterns to our behavior. So if you see that there's this unhealthy behavior in your life, wisdom says we got to look at this. we got to call the behavior out, and we need to handle it, and we need to go and allow to get wisdom, to get counsel around it so that you can move forward and break the pattern, break the unhealthy cycle. Proverbs 19.3 says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. You can also think of it this way, is sometimes when we're angry at God, we feel justified in our bad behavior. See, it's easy to shift the blame toward God and blame him for a decision we made that caused us hurt. So then we shift that, we get angry at God, and then we justify it because we're in pain or because we're hurt. And so this proverb talks about that if you're not careful, that in our folly or in our sin, in our poor behavior, that if we're not careful, what can seep in? We can begin to rage or get angry at God and constantly blame shift what's going on in our life toward him. I mean, we see people do it all the time. We see Christians struggle with it when pain or when bad things come. Is God really good or is God the author of this? How do I handle this? Proverbs 14, 16. It says, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. But look at this. This is an attribute of being foolish. It says, a fool is reckless and is careless. You know, one thing I love about our faith and I love about Christianity is God has a way of taking people who have caused misery on their own doing, has a way of taking it, cleaning it, washing it, forgiving it, and making it new. Aren't you thankful that you serve a God who takes the decisions we make that we should be responsible for, he can take it and make us new and heal us and forgiveness and restore us. That's how good God is, that even in our own brokenness, he still loves us and he'll make us new. You know, I think about uh, really two pedals to the bike that we will constantly live in in our lives is it's repentance of the things we've done toward God and then forgiving others. So in order to continue to move forward, repentance and forgiveness is not just a one-time thing. We know that. But in order to, to stay healthy in our relationships, to stay healthy in our walk with God, it's repenting to the things we've done toward God. And then it's forgiving the things that have been done to us and forgiving what we've done to somebody else. So it's repentance and forgiveness. Picture the bike, the two pedals, that those are what we constantly move in and walk in so that we can have health and freedom and be able to do what God has called us to do without a burden, a hardened, a bitter heart. And so Proverbs speaks to this, 14, 16, one who is wise and cautious, again, turns away from evil. So if you want to walk in wisdom, you see evil, you turn from it. And when we talk about repentance, I like to say this as well, is repentance starts in the head, then it goes to the heart, and then it touches your hands. So when you walk in repentance, it's a changing of your mind. It's not being conformed to the pattern of this world. It's so it's not having the pattern the way the world would handle things or the way the world says that I'm sorry or handles offense or handles unforgiveness. But we have to allow our mind to change. And then as our mind changes, our heart changes. What's our heart? It's our desires. It's our appetites. It's what we go after. And then from our heart, then our hands, then our behavior. 
But see, many times when we go to, to allow the Holy Spirit to change us, we just want to go right to the behavior. Okay, I'll stop doing that. I'll, I'll physically clean my room, but I'll never handle with the way I think about un- being unclean or way, the way I think about how things need to be hung up or folded. And then from there, then it's getting the right desire, getting the heart behind why I need to stay clean in my life, right? And so stop running and jumping the gun and just trying to do more and get to the behavior. But what the heart of God is, is that you don't need to do more. You need to become more and be more. And that's through the head and the heart. And then naturally the hands will change. Now, I've seen it in my life too. Sometimes I might not agree with cleaning my room, but I need to jump in and just begin to do it to try to activate it. And then the head and the heart sometimes can catch up. So you have to know yourself. And again, this is just a silly analogy. It's our room stays clean regularly. Don't worry about that. We're good on that. Unless when the kids wake up, get in the room, throw everything away. We got a little toy bin in the room. You know how it is. Yes, we clean. We're good. So head, heart, and hands, repentance, and forgiveness. So in order to heal the hurt that you've caused by your sin, head, heart, and hands, evaluate it, look at it, and allow the Spirit of God to deal with it. We good there? Point one? Okay. Next slide. What do we see? Number two is this. Is did somebody sin against you and hurt you? Now, I think this can be a tough one at times. Did somebody sin against you and hurt you? Bree, if you just come up, turn it off, turn it back on, we should be good. This is what this says here. And this is what I've seen in my life with someone sinning against you or hurting you or causing an offense is this is at times it can be easy, think of it this way, is you see something on the news, someone got hurt, someone got shot, somebody got killed, all the pain we see on the news. It can be easy to say, oh, that's awful, and then you turn it off, you go to bed, you really don't think much about it. You have no relationship with what took place there. Now step over here, someone you're close to, a spouse, a close friend, a family member, they do something petty, it offends you, and then you're enraged in it. You can't get any sleep. You're losing your, your, your mental life, your thought life, and you just get narrow-minded, and that's all you think about, something petty. But then that just happened. You saw that, but there's no relationship with what took place. So, and we've heard it said before that those that can hurt us the most are those that are usually closest to us or that we put the most trust in. And so when we're evaluating and we're looking at this, is, is someone hurt me? How do I deal with that? How do I, those close in relationship or even from an outside relationship, how can I process through that when I've been hurt? Say it like this. It's often not the size of the offense, but the affection that is given to that offender that determines the potential degree of pain and bitterness that you can experience. Proverbs 10 says that, 1410 says this, the heart knows its own bitterness and it's no stranger to share its joy. So right here, the diagnosis of the heart that the psalmist is talking about is that it's bitter. Think about the pain you're in, maybe you're in currently or that you've been in your life, is like here, it's bitter, but have, have, at times has your heart been broken? Who's had a broken heart before? We're all prone to a broken heart. Has it been a rebellious heart, a wayward heart? Has it been a backslidden heart? But right here we see that the psalmist is describing it as a bitter heart. And here's what it says is that when you're bitter, you're not going to have joy in your life. When you allow your heart to get hardened and bitter, you will not have 
joy. And joy is the very thing that we can't allow circumstances to take. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is something that's so much deeper. And as believers, we're called to walk in joy and not have a hardened, bitter heart. Here's some other uh, things about a bitter heart. As torment can move into a bitter heart, when you allow your heart to get bitter, watch as the enemy will send tormenting spirits against you to keep you so consumed about your bitterness. Proverbs 23, 17 says this, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day. Now, this is what's tough. When someone is sinning against you or hurting you, and you can rightfully say in the situation that I'm about 99.9% good or 90% good, let's be a little more humble, that I've not caused the cause and effect, that what I've done isn't deserving of what this person is doing toward me. You've been there before. Well, when that pain or that hurt is coming towards you, it's tough to then want to envy and look at that and say, how are they getting away with that? How can they treat me like that and seem just to go on and be happy and not think a thing? You've been there before. And so what he's saying here is you can begin to envy and say, I'm done going the second mile. I'm done trying to do things God's way. I'm just going to give it back to him. We're going on Facebook. Let's do this thing. You know what I mean? So it's saying don't envy the way the sinner handles it, but continue to go the high road. I'm just talking real this morning. But it says continue in the fear of the Lord all day. Who do you fear, man or God? We're supposed to fear God and learning to walk in the fear of the Lord. It's not giving hate for hate, anger for anger, but doing what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. And this is the true test of forgiveness, and this is what we're going to look at. That if you've really forgiven someone, you're able to bless them. That's what Jesus teaches us. And again, this is a high order. I think we talked about this in intercessory prayer. If you've really walked in forgiveness, you are able to bless that person, not, not curse them and not just wait for them to fall and stumble. But we're supposed to bless them. And it's not easy. We're going to look at that. Proverbs 24, 17. Here's what, here it is. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Doesn't it just hit you at times? And so wisdom is telling us, if you're going to go the second mile, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to honor me in the process of forgiving, you can't rejoice. And the test is to bless them. I want to look at some remedies to forgiveness in your life because I think we get, we get the, the lines blurred between forgiveness trust and reconciliation. We kind of clump them all together. But there's a process of where we walk in forgiveness, then trust begins to come, and then reconciliation. Forgiveness is this. Oftentimes, forgiveness is a private matter between you and God, not necessarily between you and them. So if you're going to walk in forgiveness, many times we wait to hear somebody else say, I'm sorry back. But many times, that's not the way God set up forgiveness. Forgiveness should be given up front and quickly. And then how often should it be given? What did the apostles say when they went to Jesus and asked, well, how many times are we supposed to forgive? 70 times 7. You do the math, that's 490 times a day. So forgiveness isn't earned. Forgiveness is inexhaustible and unlimited. And I don't give it at the finish line. I give it at the starting line. So when I've been hurt, I say immediately, I forgive that person, I release that person, I forgive that situation, I release that situation. And then from there, 
we look at the account of trust and reconciliation. To build trust and reconciliation, it's deposits and it's withdrawals. So you're depositing into that account. Trust is being built. You're learning to rebuild that relationship. And then as those deposits go, then you can begin to reconcile the relationship. But many times forgiveness is, okay, I need to forgive them, then write them a blank check and tell them how happy I am to be back in their life. That's not how it works. It's also this. Forgiveness is both a one-time event and an ongoing process, 70 times 7. Forgiveness is not enabling crime, foolishness, irresponsibility, or sin. So don't be careless in your forgiveness. Number four, forgiveness is not trust or reconciliation. We talked about that. Also, I love this as well. Forgiveness is responding to Jesus instead of the hurt. This is good. It can be said like this. It's, in my forgiveness, I'm going to choose not to react to them, but respond to him. I'm not going to react to the situation and keep repeating the cycle of hurt, but I'm going to take the burden of this unforgiveness I'm carrying, and I'm going to place it and transfer the burden and look up and not get so narrow-minded in the situation. And again, I see it all the time, and this is where people get stuck, is something's done against them. Even someone who did something who has died, and they're still walking and harboring that unforgiveness. And, I mean, studies will show that those that are, have this burden of unforgiveness that have carried it for years, it can cause physical pain to your body. And people walk like this day in and day out, just with an unforgiving heart. And sometimes you can justify how you feel. And many people do. I, I'm justifying the situation because of how traumatic it was. But Jesus doesn't give you a way out based off how bad it was. He says you've got to forgive that this is the prescription if you're going to walk in health and healing. So we, react, we don't react, we respond to him. We transfer the burden to God. This is good too. Forgiveness is to stop trying to control people and outcomes. When you've been hurt, and based on the degree you've been hurt, you never want to experience that again. So you want to control the outcome. And this is what it says, is I will apply forgiveness when that person comes and apologizes to me. So you're controlling when you release your forgiveness or when you give forgiveness or when you apply forgiveness. Jesus says you got to do it up front. And if you, if you do it up front and you forgive 70 times 7, your heart is going to stay free of bitterness and being hardened. And the Holy Spirit can continue to do a work in you, and you're not going to get stuck. Am I preaching good this morning? Are you all getting this? Oh, thank you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Lastly, this about forgiveness. It's letting go of sin and stress so you can heal spiritually mentally and physically walking in unforgiveness is stressful and it kills your thought life it kills your heart and it kills your joy let it go so you're not stressed by it number three is this we got to ask ourselves what powerful lies are we believing about ourselves proverbs 14 25 says this a truthful witness saves lives but one who breathes out lies is deceitful you ever seen two people go through the same circumstance or the same situation and based on their worldview based on their perception of the circumstance one can come out bitter and hurt but the other one can come out almost seeming unscathed because of how they walked through it with their knowledge of the word of god with how they responded to the circumstance because when you have wisdom we know that can we agree life is hard 
Life will happen to you. Life will break all of us at some point along our journey. But how we respond to it and how we come up out of it, that's where wisdom and knowledge comes into play because we'll either come out even more hurt and broken by it or it can be the very breaking that God can bring breakthrough into our life. And so it's saying here, be a truthful witness. Now, if I were to ask you, who's the loudest voice in your life? Just think about it for a minute. Who is the loudest voice that is speaking into your life? You might say your spouse. You might say a friend. But I would actually say, as I was thinking about this, it's myself. That I'm the loudest voice in my life. And, I'm, and am I being a truthful witness or am I breathing deceit into my life? How, what's my thought life like? How am I encouraging myself in the Lord? How am I declaring the word of God? Or do I listen to the lies of the enemy, who's the father of all lies, whose native tongue is lying about who God is in your life and about your identity? Those are the two things the enemy loves to, to capture is who God is and who you are. And so if you're the loudest voice in your life, are you a truthful witness about who you are and who God is? Or are you listening to the lies of the enemy and therefore speaking them over your situation and over your circumstance? This is where your faith comes into play. This is where speaking the word comes into play and being a truthful witness over the circumstance and over the situation. Truth always gets you to reality. Lies always keep you in deception. Speak the truth and be able, when you get in the hard and when you get in that place of where it's heated, push through and you will find help and healing. Secondly is this, Proverbs 12, 17. Whoever speaks the truth and gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Again, we talked about that, that the enemy wants to verbalize his lies about who God is and who about who you are. Number four is this, is what foolish choices have made your life harder? Anybody make some foolish choices? And I think if we're just honest and we look at it, where have I walked in folly and therefore because of my folly have made my life harder and how am I not addressing that and working with that? Proverbs 14, 14 says this, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. This is just practical wisdom. And a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. So if you're walking in folly, if you're backsliding out of the things of God, you're not making wise, spirit-filled decisions based off the word of God, you're going to reap the fruit of it. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. This is what we see taking place here. And if you're walking in wisdom, you're going to sow the fruit of your ways. If you want to have a good marriage, you've got to sow into it. If you want to have a good family, you have to sow into it. I think a good way to, to understand this principle is look at your retirement. If you're not sowing into it regularly, financially, then at the end when you retire and you look at your account, you're not going to have anything to withdraw from. But you have to play the long game. It's delayed gratification. And many times to reap the fruit of our ways, we have to understand the principle of sowing and reaping, and we have to understand the principle of delayed gratification. And when we do that, we should reap a harvest in our life of the fruits and the things of God. And this is what it says too. Proverbs 23, 23 piggybacks off of this. It says, get the truth and never sell it. So when you find the truth, you hold on to it. You lock it down because in your darkest hour, that is what needs to come up and out of you. You don't sell it. You don't compromise the truth, even when it gets hard and when it gets heated. But look what it says. When you get the truth, it says, why don't you go ahead and get some wisdom, some discipline, and good judgment? I would say too, is that truth 
builds wisdom in your life. It builds discipline in your life, and it builds good judgment. If you want to see the fruits of getting truth, how's, are you walking in wisdom? Are you disciplined in all areas of your life? Reflect. And do you have good judgment? Do you have discernment? Do you have common sense? Are you able to look at life circumstances and situations and evaluate it to the word of God and make a good decision? Don't be double-minded, but know the word of God. So what foolish choices have we made to make our life harder? Don't do defer maintenance. I think many times in our relationships we defer maintenance. As we wait till date night or we wait till, um, you know, the kids are are out of the house and then we'll try to connect in our marriage. But you have to do things day in and day out so that you don't wake up one day and water is pouring in your home because you didn't replace that one little broken spot. Now you're thousands and thousands of dollars to get a roofer out and fix it. Don't defer the maintenance, but address it. Number five is this, is how has life broken you? I said if we, at some point in our life, we will experience a breaking that is beyond ourself and that we'll either turn to the way the world copes with brokenness, we numb it in a, in a wrong relationship, we numb it through a pill, we numb it through a drink, but the way that we're supposed to respond to brokenness, and even think about the book of Job. See, Job went through his, his wife and through his, his friends, they misdiagnosed scripture to try to give him the prescription to his pain. His wife said, curse God and be done with it. I'm sure she pulled that from scripture and said, okay, let's apply this here. No, that's incorrect. Job moved on, and then his friends who came around him began saying, okay, what's this hidden sin in your life? Let's get it out. Let's bring it out. And so they were mixed. They were taking truth, misdiagnosing it, and trying to say, Job, this is what you need to do, which was incorrect. And so many times, life has a way of breaking you, and when you're in a place of brokenness, you're very vulnerable. This is what you have to be aware of. This is why you can't isolate. This is why you have to get to the house of God. This is why you have to have the right friends around you. This is why it is if you're in a marriage and your spouse is, is broken, you need to be speaking and saying the right things, getting right counsel and, and all of those things around you. Because in our brokenness, we're vulnerable. And when we're vulnerable, we can easily listen to the wrong voices and apply the wrong decisions to the situation. This is what it says. It says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. You can tell what someone's going through by their countenance. What's going on inside, many times you can see on somebody's face. A lot of you, I can see you're tired right now. Let's wake up, come on, let's engage. I can tell, but look what it says, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Many people walk around with such deep sorrow and such deep pain that they live with just their spirit being crushed. They have no reason to want to get up to move forward to apply the things we're talking about because they feel so crushed and traumatized by the circumstance or by the situation. Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. It's good medicine, but a broken spirit saps. I love that word. It, it saps a person's strength. It kills your strength. It's kryptonite, and it saps what God is doing in your life. And see, there's two kinds of brokenness because we all experience brokenness. And this is a big part of our church is that what brokenness you're feeling, you have to go to the healer. You have to go to Jesus. You have to make that intention because it's not God's problem when you have a broken heart. We have to steward it and bring it to him. 
We're going to have pain and trial and tribulations. We talked about that last week. But how do you steward that brokenness in your life? That our response is we have to bring it to him. And we have to allow ourselves to grieve, to be in solitude, to seek him, and allow the pain to begin to heal. So there's two kinds of brokenness. We can be hopeless. We don't take it to God. Or we can be hopeful in our brokenness, knowing that it can be mended, that it can be restored. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what he does. That when you bring your brokenness, he restores it and brings you out better. Just like as he did Job. He blessed Job more in the latter end of his life than he did at the front end of his life. And I'm telling you, if you can apply forgiveness to your pain right now, and you can choose to release and to forgive, you can experience this life-giving remedy, this medicine, this prescription to the pain you're feeling in your life. Stop holding on to it. Transfer the burden to him and let it go because it's not worth it. Number six, do you feel guilty, dirty, or undeserving? I think we can get trapped here as well, and we can get stuck here. Proverbs 30, 12 says this, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. You know, many times in the Bible, a leper, they walk into a room and they'd have to yell, I'm unclean. Imagine the shame that that person would walk through, knowing that they're unclean and would have to physically announce their pain and their shame to the whole room and experience the judgment of that situation. One thing I love about the gospel, and you can read it in Hebrews 2, it says that he endured the cross despising our shame, that we don't have to be bound by the shame of our past. We don't have to be bound by the shame of our past sexually. We don't have to be bound by the pain of our past relationally. That many times there can the enemy wants to bring in shame and heap the shame so that you feel undeserving, you feel dirty, and you stay unclean, and you just stay unconfident all the time. That's not God's heart. God's heart, it's not based on what you've done, your identity. It's not based on what's been done to you, but it's based on what Jesus has done for me. This is where we live in that place. Not what's been done, what I've done, what's been done to me, but what Jesus has done for me. That's where we live. And when we live there, you're not going to be bound by shame. You're not going to have these feelings of I'm dirty, I'm undeserving. See, the gospel isn't just you're forgiven, but you're also made clean. That's why we, the church is seen wearing white when you read Revelation, because it's this, it's this picture of being a pure and spotless bride because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ bestowed and put on our life. Proverbs 30, 12 says this. It says, those who are clean in their own eyes but not washed of their filth. So it's saying, you know, don't be deceived. Don't think you're clean in one area, but you've not washed yourself of the filth. I think many times we think we don't deal with this. We think we're clean in our own eyes. But have you really allowed the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit to really clean you, clean your mind, clean your heart, and clean your hands? This is where we live. Number seven, who or what do you fear? Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Be anxious for nothing, scripture says. Proverbs 3, 24, you can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. Does that sound good to anybody? Get peace in your life. See, fear says this, especially of the future. When you are operating in fear and you look into your future, you don't see the presence of God. You're fearful. It's sad. But faith says this. When you look into your future, you see the presence of God and you know that he's with you and things are going to be okay because I'm in the will of God. Fear will always rob you out of the will of God and keep your mind out of the will of God. Keep your 
heart out of the will of God and keep your hands and how you're behaving and your choices out of the will of God. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. If you want to walk in safety, trust him over man. And you're going to have safety in your life. You still trust your leaders and the authority God's put in your life, but ultimately our hope does not rest in political systems. It doesn't rest in this economy. Our hope and our honor and our reverence and our allegiance is to Jesus and to the kingdom of God. We're here. Lastly, number eight, I want to invite the team up and we're going to close. Is have you hardened your heart? So through all of this, are you reflecting on your own heart, on your own past? Do you sense that you have a hardened heart? Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blesses the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. I want to say this. Is life is hard. Hard situations happen. But a hard life does not have to register a hard heart. That we can go through a hard life, we can go through hard situations and not have to have a hard heart. And again, this is where forgiveness, this is where repentance comes into play, that it, it keeps you free of this hard heart. And like we read, that if you have a hard heart, you will not have joy in your life. That's why when I want us to be a church that when we go through hard situations and we emerge, we emerge with a tender heart and not a hard heart, that you can, die, you can catch it and say, I'm not going to go there in my heart or in my mind. I'm going to take every thought captive by the power of God. I'm going to release the situation. I'm going to transfer the burden because it's not worth having a hardened heart. It's not worth waiting to hear the magical words of someone saying, I'm sorry to you, though you may never hear them. And you live your life burdened and full of hate God does not call us to live that way. There's a saying that says this about people when they go through two different situations, one comes up hard, one comes up tender. It says this, it says, the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. Again, it's perception. How are you seeing the situation? How are you going to the, to the things of God? How are you taking hold of the word? Because the same sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. Hard hearts leads to a non-relational lifestyle with God and the people we love the most. A hard heart will rob you of relationship. There's a great price you pay when you choose to allow your heart to be hardened. But here's where we have to understand the practicality as well. Is just as it takes time and time and time and sometimes months and years to get your heart hardened, it can take time to unharden that heart as well. And so you have to hang in there to the process. Again, when it gets hard and heated, the six stages of truth that we talked about, we get stuck at hard and heated, but when we allow it to settle down, we get the fear of God, we honor God, we want his ways, his word, his will. We check our flesh at the door, our emotion at the door, and we say, God, here I am, I'm yours. Send revival into my heart. Don't let my heart be hardened. Here's the hope we have. Is we've sinned against God. He sinned against God in this room. We all have. We all fall short of the glory of God. 
but guess who didn't harden their heart toward us? Father God did. Our Heavenly Father said, I'm not going to harden my heart, but I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send grace as a gift. I'm going to flood every heart with mercy and say, there's hope for you. There's life for you. You can have a tender heart. That what Ezekiel even said, I can take a heart of stone and put a heart of flesh. And so this morning, wherever you feel that you have a hard heart, look at what Ezekiel says. He said, I can take that hard heart as you release it in forgiveness, and I can put a heart of flesh within you. If you stand to your feet this morning, I want to pray. And this is the moment where I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. I want to allow your heart to be flooded with mercy. And again, I can inform you, and we can have all these eight points, and they can trigger and, and, and dig to the situation, but there has to come the point where you release it, where you allow forgiveness to have its way. And so today, look at the situation, whether it be in your past. I don't know how far you need to pull that bow back. Maybe it's a recent situation. Maybe it's something that happened this morning on the way to church. But let's release it and allow the power of forgiveness to come forth. Because if we can't walk as free people, we'll never see God use us for revival. We have to get it right in here first. We have to get it right in the head, the heart, and then he'll use our hands. So let's allow God to heal us this morning. Jesus will give you forgiveness, not bitterness. He'll give you wisdom, not folly. His heart is life-giving. It is not burden-giving. In the name of Jesus, I thank you right now that your presence is here. God, I ask as we declare this once again this morning that you would flood our hearts with mercy. Mercy is undeserving. It's free. Let it flow from heaven into our hearts. Free us up from the bondage of bitterness. Free us up from a hardened heart. God, we believe that you can use our brokenness to bring breakthrough. Where we feel broken, where life has been hard, bring breakthrough right now in Jesus' name that we're not going to allow our identity to be attacked. It's not what we've done. It's not been what's done to us, but we live in the place of what has Jesus done for me, and I want to live out of that this morning. God, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. We thank you for truth. Let it bring health and healing in Jesus' name. Let's worship and let's allow forgiveness to flow in our hearts.